shows are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Welcome to the Adventures in Tech podcast. Talking the latest tips and trends in educational technology to innovate and engage your students. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Dan. Welcome to episode 16 of the Adventures in Tech podcast. I am one of your hosts, Andrew. And I'm the other one, Dan. <laughs> oh, I'm already losing it. Anyways, if you like the content, please help us out by providing feedback and a rating on wherever you download your podcast from. We greatly appreciate your support. Uh, we're going to change the format up a little bit this week. Uh, I'm going to go off the rails. Dan's going to jump on a soapbox and we'll be good. Yeah, and I have no idea what to expect right now. <laughs> Open mind. All right, so Open I'm not... Mind. <laughs> It's the power of yet. Growth mindset, Dan. That's growth, true. Growth mindset. So, all right, here's where I'm going to go. I'm not going to call this by its legal name because I don't want to do something illegal, if that makes sense. So I'm going to call it this or that. So would you rather have this or that? Are you ready, Dan? I think so, but yeah, I'm ready. It's PG. Be forced to sing along or dance to every single song you hear, Dan. Which one? Well, they're all listening to my voice right now, so we can imagine how horrible the singing would be. So I think I will get my groove on and dance. Oh, Dan's doing the cabbage patch. There's your visual, folks. I'm going to throw the running man in for good measure. Oh, yeah, the running man, the shopping car. Here we go. All right, off the rails. Just a little fun today as we say that. As we get started, I'm going to do a this or that or would you rather every week now just to get, uh, you know, the juices, the creative juices flowing and uh, kind of give you a visual. As you can see, Dan cabbage patching down the hallway <laughs> as we move on. Told you off the rails. The weekly wind up. Lots of news uh, has come out. And something that I want to kind of touch base is we know we're a big, a big fan of Matt Miller. Uh, and we're hoping to get him uh, on the podcast at some point. But what's just incredible is he's uh, actually starting to write a new book and it's called Efficient Teach and he's kind of got the outlines and the chapter already into a Google Doc and every educator is allowed to suggest and help create this book. I've been looking at it for over a week now and seeing everything that's happening so essentially he's crowdsourcing a book. It's great. It's great. And it just it just brings me to the point and it actually will lead into today's discussion, but offering opportunities for people to collaborate, to build understandings and, and just work together. I mean, it's what he's doing and the amount of involvement and what I see taking place in this is just Fantastic. Ah, I love that word. Fantastic. I'm super excited about it for Matt. And hopefully uh, at that point when we do get him on as a guest, we can kind of start to say where where his crowdsourcing idea came from and get a little bit you know, behind. Because he's already a very accomplished and well-known author of, I believe it was five books, right? Five. Right. So, um, you know, there's definitely, uh, he's got, you know, he's, he's done it before. And I'm excited to see how this progresses uh, until it kind of reaches the publishing stage. So and stay tuned for that. Definitely stay tuned. And, you know, it's really kind of hard to describe what's happening here. Um, but I do recommend to all our listeners, and we'll put the link to it in, in the show notes. Absolutely. Um, but to open up this document and see everything that's just taking place and how it's growing, I'm, I get, I'm get sucked into all the suggestions and comments it's totally a reflective experience for me to look at what other people are doing. And you want to talk about best practices? 
this is highlighting so many different things. And it's just collaborative. Mm-hmm. And we always talk about collaborative projects and you're connecting with, you know, Matt's got such a, a far reach and you're connecting with educators and, and publishers and, and writers and authors from all over the world. And you're getting to see the edits, the suggestions, the, the, everything, the content in real time. So it's very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, the other thing is uh, Matt did have a, uh, uh, a, a post that we wanted to share called Habit Stacking, 10 Ways It Can Streamline Class. And, of course, we will put uh, we'll put it in the show notes, but I, I know we've all been there where, you know, he starts off where, do you ever feel like you're, you tell your students to do the same things every single day? Turn in your assignment, push in your chair, do your exit ticket, pick up your materials. And we want to make that a habit where we don't have to have that repetition. It's kind of like my Google Calendar. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is where habit stacking will really help a lot. So we know habits can be negative. They can be destructive, staying up too late, procrastinating. Dan and I are very good at procrastinating. And the list goes on and on. But not all habits are bad. And uh, it's basically habit stacking is the way your brain's way of making decisions without working too hard. So if you uh, align them up with goals, they are very powerful. Right. So one of the easier ways to create new habits, I mean, you know, if you, I mean, we all are, but if you're tired of telling your students over and over and over and over again to do something, you might be able to stack it together with something they already do. So that's really what habit stacking is. You know, you can just begin with, with some talking points. After the current habit, I will, and then introduce the new habit. Right. So you want to keep your car clean, Dan? As soon as you turn off the car, that's your current habit, right? You do that. Pick up a few pieces of trash or excess items from your son, right, that are left in the back seat. Exactly. <laughs> and that's actually something I've been doing with my car is I will not leave my car with anything left over in it. thousand percent agreed. And it, it makes me so much happier. Oh, it's nice, nice. The, the clean inside of the car is really, I mean, I love the outside car uh, being clean as well, but it's a lot more to maintain right now. Now, in the inside, you can keep it, and depending upon, uh, you know, you get into that habit, it's going to stay that way. So, so we think about, you know, ways to use habit stacking, you know, in the classroom, and it can absolutely work in a classroom. I mean, Matt outlines like two simple steps. And then lots and lots of execution. Identify the new habit that you want your students or yourself to start and then stack it with an existing habit you already have. You know, so some examples that he puts forward after students walk into the in the classroom, they'll take out their Chromebooks and open Google Classroom. Current habit walking in the classroom, new habit, take out the Chromebook and open Google Classroom. Right. Another one that I thought was great was uh, the teacher finishes that direct instruction component. The students do a three, two, one activity. So we finished uh, the direct instruction. They're doing that three, two, one activity is their new habit. So right after the teacher teaches or after the class discussion, the students' brains are still holding all that new information in their working memory. They sort through it. They can save some of it in a three, two, one activity to help them lock it into long-term memory by processing it. So three new facts, two things I find interesting one question for next time, get into that habit. It's going to really help our students grow. Right. So definitely get into this article and look at some of the examples he puts forward because uh, it's very valuable. Yeah. And again, there's a lot in the article. It's not overwhelming to read, but we don't want to, you know, read it verbatim. Uh, but definitely check it out. As we said, we will post it in the show notes. So uh, Google has an update and uh, Google Workspace update uh, actually just released this week where you can now embed linked Google Forms charts into docs, slides and drawings, which is great because it's mm-hmm. always been sheets. Right. Right. Uh, because it was just seamless transition in that in that regard. But now you can embed those linked response charts 
from those Google Forms into Docs, slides, presentations, or drawings. And anytime that that new form response is received, anybody who has those permissions, the proper permissions, they can refresh that embedded chart by simply clicking the update button, which is in the top right uh, corner of that chart. So it's very useful for sharing that real-time responses to polls and surveys and incorporate forms responses into presentations or reports, which, as we know, we're constantly looking at data. Right. So... You may not see this immediately. Uh, it will be uh, turned on automatically. It's a gradual rollout. Could take up to 15 days, uh, but it did start March 1st. So uh, you should be seeing it uh, in your workspace domain uh, anytime in the next two, three weeks, let's say. Yeah, I can't wait to see how this works out. So there's another thing that, you know, I know we talked, uh, I believe, on episode 13 about sketch noting, And uh, a lot of people are like, I don't have a touchscreen device. So what, how do I... How do I handle this? I'm not a I'm not an iOS user. Uh, I don't have a touchscreen Chromebook, or you know, I don't even have a tablet. So uh, something that we kind of were looking into was the Wacom's and right. Wacom tablets. And and there's a whole variety of of those Wacom tablets. Essentially, I mean, they have digital tablets that you can do all these crazy things right. on, but they have very very simple um, little plug-in or, or Bluetooth tablets and really not like a tablet that you'd think of an iPad no, or, or, right. or something like that. It's it's really like an external mouse with a stylus. So anywhere that you would use your cursor or a drawing tool, you can use that stylus on that external touchpad, really what it is, in order to bring in drawing. So it, it's really an efficient way of um, just manipulating your computer. Yeah, and they and they start. I mean, you can sketch, you draw, you edit, you get photos, experiences. They're battery free. You don't have to worry about that component. And the nice thing is, there are some that are completely reasonably priced, starting as low as sixty dollars. Uh, you know, depending upon what your use is and how you value this, could be something that if you don't have the touchscreen device, it is mm -hmm. an opportunity for you to utilize. Uh, that so we did we did reach out to Wakeham to see uh, you know some more information if they sent anything over but so far it's been crickets so that's okay though that's okay so uh, sticking with the you know the whiteboard kind right. of thing is Limnu uh, which we've kind of talked about it's much very much like uh, whiteboard chat right Dan and a little bit it's it's I it reminds me of um, the Miro whiteboard right. app that that um, I've used uh, quite a bit and I, I'm a big fan of. So uh, we're gonna put. We're not gonna go into the the high depth of it, but someone asked for another kind of whiteboard thing. We love Jamboard. Don't get me wrong. Right. But this is just something more to use that you can have uh, team building, uh, student building. There's doodles. You know, we again relating to that sketch noting, uh, the collaborating and brainstorming. You can have Limnu. There's there's no sign up required. You can try it out. See if it's something that. Uh, you're kind of into, you know, everybody's got to find the right tool for the right application. Uh, and we just wanted to share this as well. Right. And I, I will add, and I did add for the show notes, the link to the Miro whiteboard. Right. And it, you can get to it right from your Google apps. Um, what's really cool about these whiteboards is it's not like your standard space. Like you, no. you're working on, you know, your interactive whiteboard in your room, whatever software you're using, if you're using Active Inspire or you're you're still using Smart Notebook, you're kind of contained to a box, right? Correct. And then you have to either extend that box or you have to go to another page. Mm -hmm. These online whiteboards are very fluid. It, it's almost like 
you, you can just like, like those things, like I think of CSI, right? When they're yeah. all sitting around that table and they just grab it and move things to the side and right. rearrange. That's what these digital whiteboards can do. You, you have an basically unlimited amount of space that you can start putting in your information and it keeps it all together. And you can, you can insert um, your Google workspace documents and slide decks and and whatever you need right into that whiteboard so it's really a cool tool that's worth exploring and it it allows for that creation process um, with the notes so as you're going through putting in information your slide decks you can use those the the drawing feature to go in and put in your symbols like sketch noting and connect things with arrows and processes and it's really fluid and it's really organic. I think that's what I like about it is the organic nature of developing understandings in your class. So instead of having kids um, write down information, they can create information, share it up, and you can make that connections very easy. Again, and all these tools are just to, to be utilizing your tool belt because everybody finds certain tools intuitive compared to others. So uh, again, just something to put in your wheelhouse that can be utilized at any point. So I don't know if we've talked about Casey Bell before. I feel like we have, but I'm not. Shake uh, it up. Shake, shake up, it up. Shake up learning. That's it. And uh, she did. She was the co-host. I am dancing right now. Yeah, you're doing the cabbage patch. She uh, <laughs> off the rails as I'm trying to focus here. Uh <laughs> Are you doing the Harlem Shake? What are you doing now? Oh, my goodness. I can't even talk about what's going on. Uh, back on the rails. So Casey was the co-host with uh, Matt Miller on the Google Teacher podcast for many, many years. Uh, I wanted to, They did over 120 episodes, I believe, um, maybe even more. But, uh, you know, she is an educator. ELA uh, is her background, I believe, uh, middle school. Math. And math? Math. I thought she was ELA. Nope. Okay, so uh, anyways, uh, very important content area, and she is in Texas, uh, and she still she still does have a podcast of her own. But she did put an article on her blog recently uh, in regards to 15 ways for students to use Google Keep, which I think a lot of people do not utilize Google Keep. I, I, I love it. I love it. I mean, and and it's it's just. It's just seamless everywhere. It's in your calendar. It's got a mobile device, uh, you know, mobile application. It keeps me organized and then some, and hopefully my wife would agree. I don't know. And, but. but it's also integrated into your Google Docs. It is. Google Docs, Google Slides, it's in the, it's in the whole Google workspace now. It, it is. It's, it's very it's, robust. And we, we did talk about, you know, in a previous episode about sketchnoting. That's a great place to have your students begin sketchnoting if you'd like to work digitally with the sketchnotes. Um, you have a whole drawing feature right in your Google uh, Keep. Yep, and it'll copy right over to a Google Doc, which is simple. But she has an article for 15 ways for students to use, uh, you know, Google Keep and you know, for me, one that I absolutely loved, right, uh, was tracking learning goals. I think mm-hmm. that is uh, self-reflective, and I love that idea of hers uh, that it will allow students to kind of do that. Um, I think that was key. And then, so from an educational standpoint, one that I use in a personal standpoint is location-based reminders. Uh, you know, so you set it where it oh, needs to remind you. Oh, this is great. And, oh, yep, make sure you do that. Make sure you take the trash out, whatever it may be. Make sure when you get to this grocery store, you buy this, Andrew, and I got it. So, But that are the, are, are my two ways that I love out of her 15. I mean, those location-based reminders, I totally forgot about them, but I, I actually did that as we were prepping, and I saw you put this into our, our prep for this. I, I set myself location-based reminders because – 
you know, sometimes when I, I go into a building, I have a, a few people that I'm meeting with and sometimes I don't check my calendar. I right. do all these things, but I set a location-based reminder. So when I was in a particular building, I'm going to get notifications. Remember to see this one person, remember to see that. That was huge. Yeah. So think about, you know, your older students, if they learn about location-based reminders, uh, they can set them for the school. Remember to meet with my guidance counselor. I have to turn in this. I have to do this. So that, that whole time management, that whole um, making to-do lists. Uh, I, I think Google Keep can really help our students with their organization. Right. And, and for us as educators, it's just efficient and effective. And that's the key. You know, we keep going back to that point, but we want to kind of drill it home that we're trying to make things in the, the best use of our time. And these tools are just there to do that. I, I still will go to, and I was just in a class last week or two weeks ago, um, working with students with research. And one of the greatest things in Google Keep is bookmarking. Yeah. I mean, we, we all know we love our favorites and, and we bookmark a lot of different sites. But think about how you're doing research and you're capturing all that information. Are you setting up all these bookmarks in your URL bar to, to go back to all these places? The Google Keep extension will allow you to highlight text on a web page. Um, click on the extension, it bookmarks it and saves those notes right in your Google Keep library along with where you got the resource from. And then I can open up a Google Doc and then my Google Keep notes are right next to me in the doc. Yep. It, it's amazing. Yeah, the Google Keep Chrome uh, extension is called Save to Keep, uh, and it is available in the Chrome Web Store. It's pretty much uh, with a yellow light bulb, just like the icon for Google itself. So if that's something that you are interested in, you can definitely uh, check it out in the Google Chrome and, Store. And just a last thought on, the, on uh, Google Keep is it is collaborative. Absolutely. So you can share your Keep notes with uh, fellow students, with your teacher, Um or keep it to yourself. I mean, Google Keep could be a great spot for journaling. Yeah. I mean, keeping it all in one place, having it all there, making it collaborative with your teacher. It, there's so many possibilities. I guess we always have to think outside the box sometimes when we look at a standard tool and see all the different ways we can apply it. And it's simple. It's <laughs> not like you're creating something new in the sense where, oh, I got to start a new one. I got to add this. You just go to Keep and and call it a day. Uh, the the one final thought really with Keep is on the mobile applications, you could take voice notes. So mm. if you are on the go or there's something, you know, Dan runs 1,000 miles every morning. <laughs> so he's taking notes and then he shares them with me and it could be wake up with a, you know, a nice word after that. But, it, you know, <laughs> and then I get the alert. Oh, Daniel Roberto has shared this Google Keep note with you. And then it's a voice note. And yeah, so uh, a little bit too much there. But the, right. the mobile application component of having the audio note uh, portion is is huge. Okay. Uh, last thing is the the update. I think we touched on this, but I, I got another alert about it. Uh, and so I think it was kind of delayed was the originality reports for Google Slides. Yes. So, so I know. <laughs> That's huge. Right. So I know that originality reports have been out with Google Docs. And, and remember, it checks, you know, for pretty much plagiarism and everything, not only on the web, but also in your domain uh, for previous student assignments. But now it's available for Google Slides files. And the one thing I want to point out, it is it is a plagiarism check. And it right. does a very good job uh, of doing that. And it's great that it can look at, you know, in your own domain. So, you know, you talk about siblings or friends and, you know, different times taking your classes, you know, hey, Andrew, can I have your paper? And I go ahead and turn it in. Yep. Um, it, it will recognize that. But there's also a teaching aspect to using originality reports in Google Classroom because, you know, you can set up any assignment with originality reports. Um, but... 
students can also run their own originality report. So, you know, a lot of what we're doing is creating students the habit of proper citation and making sure it's done correctly. So by them, you know, even especially using the new citation features in Google Docs and, and everything that's there, but having students run their own originality reports will help in the teaching of how to properly cite source material. Right, which is a skill that the students need to know. Even though we know all these tools are beneficial for our, our students now, something that we never had growing up, uh, it is a good skill to have because, you know, you want to give credit where credit is due. Correct. Okay, so uh, I know we didn't get into much. There was a lot of news. Uh, we didn't get into much of what's going on in the classrooms, and I think we're going to, you know, there's a lot going on, and that would almost wrap up this entire right. episode. So I think we'll hold off on that because those – those projects are on a bigger scale, uh, and I want to share some of the great things that our uh, ELA and our STEAM professional development specialists are also, uh, you know, pushing out and, and doing in the classrooms. But we'll save that for, for the next episode um, because there was so much news. I want to talk about choice boards and learning menus. Mm -hmm. And I know we've talked about A.J. Giuliani in the past, and he pretty much has the ultimate guide to choice boards and learning menus. And when we think about this, he has a great article and, you know, and Dan always reflects back on this about whether it be his favorite teacher or whatnot, but you take a moment, you think about your favorite learning experience ever. What did you enjoy about it? Why did you get so much out of the experience compared to those thousands of other learning experiences you've had over the years? How did that teacher impact you with that? Chances are a great teacher. We know mm -hmm. a special connection had kind of put that experience over the top. And as teachers, we know Every student, we want every student to have their best learning experience with us in our classes, but we try to find that something special that will be the same for all our students, but it's not going to happen. We cannot force that. Right. So, you know, we know students and teachers and everyone else learns differently. And and we also have to remember, as uh, A.J. Giuliani says in the article, a teacher does not have much control over what is going on to allow a student to learn the best that day. I mean, it if we prescribe things, then we might not be addressing what that student needs at that particular moment or in that particular chunk of time, you know, in their, in their learning experiences. But this can be done to a greater effect if we give choice. Yeah. So that's kind of where our focus is going to go. And we're not going to read the entire article, but we think mm -hmm. I want to come back to the essential question of how choice impacts student engagement and instruction. And, mm -hmm. and like you said, we don't know, we know what needs to be taught, right? And the same content wherever. It doesn't matter what school district you're in. Those standards have to be met and the content has to be taught. But those instructional experiences can be strictly student choice. Well, and we think about those instructional experiences. Um, we've had some conversations of late of, you know, what can we provide in our classrooms to really meet the the needs of of all all of our learners i don't want to say most or some i, I want to look at right. all learners i right. don't want to put them into separate categories all the time um but we've been referring a lot back to udl yep. uh, the universal design for learning and if you look at designing learning experiences for all students it really breaks down into three different areas providing and and the key is they have multiple means in each one of these examples so providing multiple means of engagement providing multiple means of representation and providing multiple means of action and expression. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I mean, and I think that is a, a huge component is when you're designing these choice boards is to have UDL framework in the back of your mind. And, and isn't that how you can really differentiate instruction? Yeah. 
Oh, a thousand percent. Right. So, I mean, keeping that in mind, um, the idea of building choice into into your instruction can can really benefit all of your students. And we always look at how do we get a more student-centered classroom is by involving them in the process. And the process could be by giving them the choice of how to demonstrate understanding, how to access understanding using those multiple ways, multiple examples. Yeah, those modalities, you want to make sure you hit all of them uh, for, like Dan said, for all students. And just just as you know, a bonus as we talk about this, it's the same thing that, that Dan and I are both doing when we think about our, our PD experiences. So, you know, playing off March Madness, right, which is coming up for, for basketball, we have a March Madness choice board. And this students, which are our colleagues and so forth, and we'll post a, a picture to it or, or whichever in the show notes. This is going to be the choice of they ha- there's one must do, but the rest of it is is choice. And that's how you can kind of do it. You know you have to have that one skill, right? You want that one skill that all students should mm-hmm. do. And then the rest of them, how they demonstrate their understanding of of all those skills and put it all together is choice. And so we have that even as we're leading our PDs so that then it could be trickled down and the teachers can use it for their students. So I'm already seeing that we're going to need a second episode. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to keep going with the conversation that we're having. Yep. Um, and I know we're, we're still in um, AJ Giuliani's article, but he brings up a good point and it's something that we have a lot of conversations about when we're um, designing learning experiences for students is talking about what is our overall goal. And you talk about the idea of engagement versus compliance. Yep. And I think that's something to um, consider because, I mean, we all know best that we all know that the best learning experience happen when the learner's attitude, attention and commitment to the process is at an all time high. So we can definitely look at that as engagement. Um, So are the activities and the environment that we're providing our students engaging, or are we just asking them to be compliant? That's a great thing. And, and this is coming from uh, what Phil Schlechty, right, yeah. calls engagement in, in fantastic levels. And again, we'll post that in the article, but there's really five ways that students respond or adapt to these school-related tasks and activities. So uh, engagement, high attention, high commitment. And then we have strategic compliance, high attention, low commitment. Ritual compliance, low attention, low commitment. Retreatism, no attention, no commitment. And Dan's favorite, rebellion. Rebellion. (laughs) Diverted attention, no commitment. And I think we've all seen that at various levels. And we could see those same um, characteristics in the same classroom during the same lesson. You'll have learners at at all different levels of the engagement. So how do we bring people up higher, all of our students, by offering Choice. Yeah. And, you know, the uh, AJ Giuliani really gives you the the uh, instructions and the scaffolds to develop your first choice board. Like, what would it look like? So you really think and you use that UDL uh, and you're building it into the, you know, how's it built into your curriculum? So he gives you all of the options, uh, you know, of how you can actually utilize this, how many choices you want to incorporate into your choice board. And it's step by step guide for your classroom. And, you know, we talk about learning and learning spaces. As we're thinking about our choice boards, um, we can think about the different spaces that are available. There is the physical space of your classroom. There's the digital space that goes hand in hand with your classroom. 
There is your group space in the classroom where students can work and collaborate, or there is your whole class instruction space. So thinking about what content or what skill would be best served in each one of those places will help you develop choice boards for students. And there are a bunch of uh, choice boards that um, that well, we're going to get back to Catlin Tucker because that's that's for the next episode. I think so. Uh, but we were going to get there. We were, but you know, um, again, Dan went off the rails. But uh, <laughs> it, what I want to say is there are some that I want to share out uh, as an example. Uh, you know, and again, we talk about social media and the benefits to social media as an educator and how things can be, uh, you know, shared. So uh, Dr. Tori Trust at Tori Trust on Twitter has a whole choice board built to specifically uh, on Women's History Month, uh, which which is great. So she's got a collection of digital choice boards about the untold stories and hidden histories of influential women in history. And as you click on this, you're going to see whether it be in U.S. history, they have stuff uh, with Social Security. We're talking about women in STEM. We're talking about women in space, women in the vote. So there's a lot of options here, uh, you know, and that's just that's just scratching the surface of what she's got. And, you know, again, the link is there and anything you want to check out, you most certainly can. The other one is specific to March. Dan, did you see this one? I did. Uh, I love this one because it, it's really hitting all different content areas. Uh, and it's, you know, built right within uh, Google Slides. And there's, uh, you know, one's National Cran Day is March 31st. Did you know that, Dan? I did not. So there's, uh, you can learn about all the different events and celebrate uh, March. So we talked about Women's History Month, uh, St. Patrick's Day, National Cran Day. They have coding, making. Uh, Read Across America is this month, so that's huge. Technology Fund, we talked about auto draw, uh, <laughs> virtual field trips, uh, you know, virtual makerspace. Uh, there's there's tons of options in this choice board as well. Okay, so you know the one thing I I know we only have a few minutes left, but we we left a lot out there. There's a lot we were talking about, a lot about um, pedagogy and theory and all of that, but um, just to kind of bring it back home. Um, to, you know, all right, I'm, I'm intrigued by choice boards. I'm looking at how can I really get started in doing this and, and just really identify, it doesn't have to be big. No, it, no. it doesn't have to be a giant experience for an entire unit. It could be a, a small part of your lesson. Just identify a unit, a concept, a skill that you want students to know, do, or make in order to demonstrate understanding. Um, and then, you should create or choose an assessment or performance test that allows students to demonstrate that. And then just start listing variety of resources and strategies to prepare students. So just giving them the information in multiple ways and then giving them multiple ways to demonstrate the understandings. Like you'll have, you know what you want them to demonstrate. You can choose different platforms and different tools to allow them to use their own choice and voice. And, and when Dan says as in its simplistic form, uh, I'm thinking tic-tac-toe board. Right. You know, three. Three across. Let's not make it, you know, crazy. And that way you could start small. And as you want to incorporate more choice into uh, into your, your instruction, then you can expand that, that and, choice and board. And I love, I, I started out with tic-tac-toe boards because in the middle you can have that must-do. So if you're really looking to gauge student understanding or get some formative assessment data, you can have a common must-do um, task in the middle that will demonstrate it, but everything around it could be a variety of choices and how you are engaging the students and how they're also demonstrating. So doing that tic-tac-toe board is a great way to start with choice boards. 
All right. I think, uh, oh, I did have rock, paper, scissors. We'll put it in the show notes. Oh. That's a cool one. That Roll the cool. dice, rock, paper, scissors, and a record one for a stop, think, reflect, exit ticket, and some metacognition. You know, any other final thoughts, Dan? Nope. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's I, the soapbox. Go ahead. I, um, I, I'll save them for when we start talking about choice words. But the one thing that, you know, actually, I do have one thought. Go for it. All right. We often get, like, how do I, you know, and, and I ask, how do I start doing it? And I think you just do it. Right, because if you're designing something in the best interest of the students, it's going to be valuable. Right. It's also going to be valuable for you because you're going to see how your students respond, and then also what best works for you in designing these experiences. So I wouldn't wait to, you know, oh, I'm gonna wait till uh, just give it start small, and, and just kind of give it a whirl, and and you'll learn a lot more from the experience um, than just putting it off and putting it off. That's it. That's going to wrap up episode 16. There's Dan's mic drop moment. Once again, thank you for all your support. Listen on all the platforms, leaving us a review. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please reach out. Mr. Voice will hit you with the socials. Tech hard, work smart, live an adventure. Find Andrew on all socials at A Nicola Tech and Dan at WCSD Tech DR.